Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 29 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, I'm the director of Sem Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Walter Kirsten, innovation manager and view, a social enterprise in the Netherlands which initiates social multinationals as part of a broader approach of creating systemic change. He also works at Delft University of Technology at the Faculty of Industrial Design and Engineering, currently in the form of a PhD on an approach that might best be described as design for scalability. Embrace instead of fear complexity to intentionally develop solution architectures that can be easily adapted across contextual borders. Together with his diverse background, with a master's in industrial engineering and management and environmental science, and a previous career in telecommunications, the mix results in his innovative thinking advice, always be curious, or ABC. He's also served as a jury member in several innovation competitions. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Walter's journey and what led him into the social innovation sector. We'll get Valter's valuable insights into creating environments that foster innovation, and we'll hear Valter's opinion on the fundamentals of creating successful social businesses. Valter, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, having me and inviting me. It's great to have you on. So to start things off, Valter, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you down the path of social business and innovation? Well, thanks for already pointing out the, the ingredients of the, the journey. Uh, let's say after the first study and my first job, I had a feeling I wasn't really working on things that were relevant for society, like working for to make a big company more successful. That yeah. was not really satisfying. So I, I followed another study and then yeah, started looking for, for work opportunities in that area and, and sort of eventually found them. And... That was in part with, with MVU, which had, well, was just on the verge of being founded at that time. We're talking about 2004 now. Mm. Um, and the term social entrepreneurship did not really exist yet in the Netherlands, but it was on, on the front, front line of that development, basically. And although I don't consider myself to be entrepreneurial in the, in the let's say, financial uh, uh, and risk-taking sense, I did consider myself entrepreneurial in the sense of tinkering with uh, thoughts mm. <laughs> uh, and, and concepts. And I did not use the term entrepreneurial, but in hindsight, that's what it was. So that's what attracted me to, to what MVU sort of uh, seemed to be. And uh, well, 10 years uh, or more than 10 years down the line, it, at some point it all came together. I'm interested in innovation interest in creativity again i didn't call it like that at that time but in hindsight it was and well uh, how many chance times do you get a chance to to go develop a new organization so that's that's a 
bit of my uh, journey and parallel I always stayed connected to one or the other university for let's say one day a week uh, so the last five years I've been working in Delft and that's now being organized in the form of a, a, what I call fast track PhD that doesn't exist but uh, well <laughs> we might as well invent it which means I have to finish it much quicker than normally but uh, that's possible because I was already working on it before it officially started. So that's in a nutshell. <laughs> I don't know if you, have, if you have specific questions about parts of that. Yeah, well, that's that's a really really interesting introduction. Thanks for that. I mean, you're you're involved in a range of really interesting social business initiatives, Valda. So could you please tell us a bit more about those and those which are really delivering positive social impact? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, as, as representative examples, I'll, I'll take almost the first one and the last one. Uh, but the first one that we started was at that point uh, in time in 2007 called Sustainable Dance Club. Yep. And it's currently called Energy Floors. And the big, big breakthrough thought uh, there was, okay, uh, what if we could capture energy of people dancing in, a, in the floor and, and power uh, at least part of the club with that? Mm-hmm. And it seems very obvious now, and it's already a known concept, but at that point it did not exist at all yet. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so, the, the, the whole link of the, the let's say, the, the, the leisure sector, the, the dance club sector uh, scene, and sustainability was non-existent. And this project, why I mention it, is, I think, a very good example of how sustainability can be made, uh, well, with a very hip word, uh, cool. And by doing that, you can uh, open it up to, to a whole range of people that, that normally would not easily be in touch with, with something like sustainability. And again, we're talking about 10 years ago. So right now it would maybe be less, less spectacular. But at that point, it was really sustainability was still a bit more for, for a certain niche. And the second reason why I mention it is because uh, I think it's a very good example of something that I like to call the turn it on mentality. Whereas a lot of sustainability speak is about reducing and using less, etc., which is technically maybe true, but it is also part of what, what you might call a turn it off mentality, turn off the light switch. Yeah. And uh, this is not, I'm convinced, the mentality that will create a critical mass. You, you need to, you want to create positive energy, literally and, and figuratively. Uh, so this is what I started calling the turn it on mentality. So that's, that's, that's one example. And, and now uh, we, are, we are a shareholder in that company and it's a, it's a, it's a venture and it's, and it's uh, doing its own thing. Yep. Um, and they diversify to other types of floors to capture kinetic energy. That's, that's the, in a nutshell, their story. Yep. Um, the t- second example is one of our most recent ventures and it's a venture in, in Ghana. It, and it provides a way for people in the informal sector to put money aside for times uh, without economic income. Mm. For example, when they're uh, retired, as you might call it. The social safety net in, in terms of family is, is eroding a little bit. So there's a growing population of people without income, uh, without anything. And uh, so we started something called uh, micro pensions. And that was a very exciting and a relatively long journey in part because we sort of had to initiate uh, a, a system change in Ghana in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because things were not allowed, things were unknown, uh, uh, saving was not really popular, inflation rates were very high, etc., etc. Um, I won't bother with the details, 
but that venture is now it has now started. Obviously, last year with a license, uh, it's attracting uh, um, uh, customers. Um, uh, but the more exciting part is that we foresaw that this was going to be relevant in more countries. So in parallel, we set up a structure, and you already referred to it in the introduction that we like to call the social multinational structure, which means that we can almost independent of how the venture in Ghana is doing, uh, we can replicate uh, the essence of that model to other countries. Mm. And of course, we have to apply contextual variations. And this is where my job in Delft comes in. But, uh, but we, can, we can do it more or less independent of the, the, the how, how Ghana is doing. That's important because normally scaling, especially scaling social ventures, really depends on the initial entrepreneur and, and their team. And that means that scaling something, even if it's successful, is, is slowed down a lot. So that's that's part of our, our strategy, how we hope to ha- achieve impact on a, re- a large scale sooner than, than if you would just initiate isolated ventures. Fantastic. They sound both like really interesting initiatives, Valda. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen some of these purpose-driven startups face and how did they navigate around them? Well, interestingly, as a sort of a sideline remark, which also came up last week, you hear these terms purpose-driven and mission-driven and, yep. uh, and uh, sort of everyone knows what they, what they mean and what they imply, mm. but technically you could say any company has a mission uh, and any company has a purpose. Maybe it's not a very social purpose or a yeah, social mission. Yep. It, it, it implies distinction, but maybe it, it, it can also be confusing because any company can say they have a mission. But that's more a sideline remark. Mm, that's but a I good point. I understand the gist of the question. The, the first reply I would have for that is, is very basic and banal almost, and that's cash flow. Mm. Uh, in, in workshops uh, that I give to students about social entrepreneurship and the basics, uh, I have this uh, nice abbreviation, C-F-I-M-I-T-Y-M, <laughs> and I let them guess what it's about, and in several steps they get to it, and it's basically cash flow is more important than your mother. <laughs> and I always, always say, okay, don't, don't take this literally, but uh, uh, <laughs> not to get into quite parents. But it's, it's, it's something that's often underestimated, and not necessarily more so by social entrepreneurs, and I said, and uh, was mission-driven entrepreneurs, but maybe they somehow have the idea that, okay, uh, I have a social mission, so someone will uh, help me out financially, mm-hmm. and, and uh, our, our, our banks will be easier on me, and it, that's simply not the case. So, just like a lack of sufficient cash flow is reason of failure for 8 out of 10 startups, it, it, it's the same for social startups. Secondly, I would say a social enterprise uh, both needs, uh, let's say, ideology and, and business acumen. And by and large, and this is not a, a mathematical statement, but it seems that the ideology part for social entrepreneurs is, is fine, and the business acumen varies. Mm. And uh, that doesn't matter. No one can have everything on board themselves, uh, but be aware of it. Yeah. And make sure that in your startup team, both elements are covered. And uh, that there's still enough, let's say, uh, overlap of the people with different skill sets to, to talk to each other and, and to work together. The third one, and that's more really uh, also specific social enterprises, is the, the concept of impact. Mm. There's a lot of talk about impact and, and impact companies and impact investors, etc. And 
the truth is, and maybe we'll we'll get back to this later. But but there's a, still a lot of let's say noise on the line of what impact is and how you should prove it and how you should measure it or whether you should measure it, etc. Yeah. Um, and it does your your vision on it and your your the way how you deal with that is is quite relevant for for how how you will develop. Mm. And a bit of a, in a similar line. Um, uh, whereas entrepreneurs typically look for investors, uh, um, really consider that, that there are different types of funding available. And uh, the type of funding that's right for you uh, also depends on the time, let's say, in the process of your uh, development. And there's nothing wrong with getting subsidies, getting grants, etc., especially in early stage. So don't be too proud for that. Yeah. That's one and uh, two again. From if uh, you can get generate your own revenues sooner rather than later, all the better. So those are a few challenges and advice because getting all of that right—that's the challenge. I would say. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you have quite a bit of experience in starting these social businesses up. So what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the social enterprise sector in the last five years or so? And where do you see the social enterprise sector heading into the future? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I would say that, like I said before, 10, 15 years ago, in, in the Netherlands at least, the term did not exist. It mm. came into existence about, I would say, 10 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, and start, it, you it was maybe it had a bit of the image of being happy like and, and uh, social part was was more emphasized than the, the entrepreneurial part and in general you see the whole concept of uh, if not social entrepreneurship then at least responsible business etc and all the synonyms it's becoming much more mainstream yep um, and uh, up to multinationals and it used to be just talk and Times have really changed, and, and that has accelerated the past five years, I would say. Mm. Uh, you see it in, in just about everything. So that is positive because it means that, that there's much more openness and open-mindedness for, for entrepreneurs with a social mindset. Yeah. Yeah, if you look skeptically you could say, or cynically, you could say, okay, it's also making it more difficult for real social entrepreneurs because... So many more companies are now claiming to do social responsible uh, and purposeful things. Um, so where's the distinction? Mm. Uh, and that's that's uh, true. Um, uh, uh, so that causes a bit of I, you call it friction. I would call it positive friction. And and I, I use that term to clarify that that if everything is smooth sailing, it's probably uh, you're probably dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah, like always, like even in the non-social world, there's a place for startups, there's a place for multinationals, and a place for SMEs. So why would that not be the case in the in the social uh, uh, scene? And it's 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 a constant exploration. Everyone will have to see what how how they which place they they will take in that landscape. Yeah. Great. So a little bit before you spoke a little bit about funding and, and grants. So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get sustainable funding for their initiative? So not, not just the initial capital or an injection through a grant, but sustainable over the long term. The types of funding that are relevant and, and feasible and desirable vary your face. Uh, and so it's, it's 
important not to, to ignore that uh, reality. Mm. And whereas many entrepreneurs might really secretly be going for the for the big big bang investment, uh, I, I I would used to say that can also lead to a big bust disappointment. And you have to be really realistic uh, in your assessment whether you want to chase a, a, a big uh, funding or big investment at that time or, or reserve it for later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really about the right type of funding in the right time. And it's more important to get that right than going for the one type of funding that, that will remain with you uh, until infinity. Yeah. And, and, and taking that interpretation of sustainable uh, funding. Mm-hmm. In the end, it's, 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 it's about uh, are you providing something that has so much value that you get a sustainable and hopefully growing customer base because that's what the most sustainable funding is about like the, the uh, people paying for what you provide mm, very interesting I have a question about structuring yourself and obviously there's many different types of organizations but how do you believe organizations can best structure themselves to keep the right culture alive? Allow me to, to, to uh, sort of think out loud a little bit on this. Yep. Um, because structure and culture on the one hand go hand in hand. A culture is not a given anyway. But you might have some, some DNA that, that you want to safeguard. And I imagine one part of that is uh, in, in recruitment, mm. uh, in whatever way you recruit really pay attention to getting insights in the motivations of the people that that join mm. um, for example also at mvu we've learned that the the the, the actual expertise and a study background etc may matter less than the type of person that you get in sure and that's almost impossible to get out of resumes and and linkedin profiles and even letters mm. so that requires uh, the face-to-face communication and questions that really dig into that aspect and well and it's more about really giving someone uh, enough uh, opportunity to to answer to to paint their picture and and derive from that whether they are uh, they're suitable for your team but uh, there are two other remarks i think i want to make there um, especially with growing organizations there's a more attention for efficiency and that sounds good, but it also has downsides or risks because there is a certain need for, let's say, redundancy. That's one. And two, and I wrote something about it some time ago, in a, especially in a social enterprise, especially related to culture, the element of relevance, is it relevant what you're still doing, is maybe more important to ask as a check, uh, check back question than in a regular company. Mm. There it can be about sales and, and, and selling stuff and uh, social enterprise needs to be relevant. And in a sense, every enterprise needs to be relevant, the social enterprise even more so. Mm. And relevance is more culture related than structure related. And as a last point I would say, and I imagine that's for, for any company in the regarding culture, prevent that you have islands. So a culture is formed by the connections between people. Yep. And it doesn't mean everyone has to do and work in the same way, but they need to feel connected and islands are not connected. Mm. So whatever you do, uh, uh, make sure uh, there are uh, connections with people and effort is being put into that. Yeah, there's some great advice there about that. 
So are there any particular tools that you use which have proven to be really, really invaluable in the, in the development and daily running of your different projects? Well, the, the, like most of my colleagues are directly involved in what we now call venture building. Yep. Um, and they have tools and, and we use sort of an applied form of Lean Startup and, and we have some, some tools. But you also have to be careful about the, the following uh, tools. Especially in the line of work that we do, you really need to use your own judgment and experience and rely perhaps more on discussion with others uh, and analyzing that discussion than relying too much on, on set uh, tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we use tools, it's more in the form of, I would say, uh, lists of questions we shouldn't forget to ask ourselves and, and others than checkboxes. Okay. If, if as long as you uh, uh, comply with these um, indicators or whatever, uh, it's going well. So it's a bit of a difficult question for me, and especially because my contribution to the whole thing is is keeping people sort of sharp and on edge uh, yeah. um, with regards to not staying too much in structures, or at least being open-minded that you need some creative additions to your your, your more structured line of work. I, I imagine there are regular, let's say, venture building, venture development tools uh, uh, that that are of use. I, I, I guess from my point of view, my main message is don't overly rely on uh, tools alone. Mm. Building a enterprise is not mathematics. In, in a way, in, things will be the same across, well, compared between different uh, uh, ventures, but in some ways, Things will also be different. Yeah, great. Uh, so don't, I would say, don't overly rely on the tools. Mm. that you're you're exposed to a lot of different projects. So, what are some of the inspiring initiatives that you've come across recently, which are creating some great positive social change? Yeah, the, the, the not very helpful answer to that would be almost every day I encounter in some way an example that that uh, I think is inspiring for, mm. for one reason or the other. But let me. Uh, mentioned a few from the, the, the past years, and they're very different ones. Um, close to home in Rotterdam, you have something called Blue City 010, and 010 is the net, net number of, of Rotterdam. Yep. And it used to be, it, it's based in what used to be a tropical swimming pool. It went bust, nothing happened. Uh, uh, some entrepreneurs really were very assertive and proactive and went into the place uh, and started to make plans to rebuild it. And long mm-hmm. story short, it's now perhaps the hotspot in the region for blue economy entrepreneurs. And it's, it's rapidly yeah, gaining recognition for, for being a very good creative entrepreneurial hotspot. Mm-hmm. So, and so, so they also facilitate others. So, so it's, it's not just one venture that's, that's, going, uh, that's being developed there. Yep. Another completely different type of initiative is, and I don't even know if they exist yet, to be honest, but it's Ghana Think Tank. And it has little to do with Ghana, the country. You spell it like that. But what they do is they uh, connect uh, groups of people uh, in in what you could call emerging economies. And they could be bicycle repairmen. They could be market salesmen. They could be nurses, uh, anyone. Uh, and they connect them to uh, stakeholders in uh, developed e- uh, economies that uh, have a problem. And they, they want to open up to unusual suspects. And so this, this Ghana think tank makes the connection, uh, and they, they, they let these these group of people in 
emerging markets think about a problem which they uh, are presented with uh, that they may know nothing about, but uh, that's the whole point. And why I like it is because one of the basic rules of innovation and creativity is allow unusual connections to, to take place. Well, this is a very interesting example of that. Mm. And the third example, which is again totally different, but and maybe has nothing to do with entrepreneurship, but I saw this, this article that in Yemen, there was uh, an initiative where through Facebook, uh, uh, women were called to join a, a bicycle uh, practice initiative. Like in, in, in Yemen, women don't have that much freedom to move around and there's less and less gasoline available. So their mobility is even more restricted. Um, so this uh, person thought, okay, but we have bicycles. Only women are not usually seen on bicycles, but why not? So let's connect the, the, the two and solve the problem of, uh, let's say, mobility shortage uh, uh, by uh, teaching women how to ride bicycles. Mm. And it was totally unheard of uh, in, in many ways. Uh, but on the first call to, to move to the streets, literally uh, a few dozen women reacted. And you can probably read about it uh, uh, the article if you want to. And I don't think it's necessarily an enterprise, but I was very much inspired by some such a daring initiative in, in many ways. Yeah, there's certainly some really interesting initiatives there. So to finish off, Valta, what are some of the top books that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I would not... Um, claim that they're the top or the absolute best books, but there are some books that throughout the years have inspired me. Yep. And I, of course, there are many I could mention, but uh, one of the books that I find, find very nice is uh, Art of the Start. Uh, uh, it's the second edition, appears like two years ago. Mm. And it's written by Guy Kawasaki. And one of the reasons why I like it is because I think he's one of the best presenters ever. Uh, so if you if you Google talks from him, uh, art of innovation, art of the start, you'll find him, and uh, I, that's part of the reason why I like it. It's, it's, it's clear, it's succinct, it's it's of course at points exaggerated, but it helps sometimes to put things a bit in black and white, yeah, <laughs> and not yeah. only in nuances. So that's one. The second book that not many that many people may have heard about is called Small Giants, and. I I think it's written by uh, Bob Burlingham uh, and easily like five years ago. And it's about uh, uh, the concept of being great, not being the same as being big. So how a small company can still have a uh, very good impact on others. Mm. Um, and a third one, uh, I would say, uh, coming from the innovation field, uh, that there are many, many books and writings and, and presentations about Creativity, but one of the books that I found very helpful and clear was uh, from Stephen Johnson, uh, Where Do Good Ideas Come From? Mm. And if you know a lot about innovation, it won't have that many new things, but that's my opinion about just about any innovation book anyway by now. Uh, but I think his writing is, is, is good. The examples are good. Uh, it just stuck with me, and I regularly use concepts that I uh, read in that book uh, in, in my own presentations and workshops. So it, for me, it has been useful. Fantastic. Well, there's some really good books there, and I'll, I'll stick some links in the article below. So, Valti, you've shared some really, really interesting insights today, and you've been very generous with your time. So thanks so much for sharing uh, everything that you've done today.
Yeah. Can, can I share one more thing to sort of undermine most of what I've said? But that might actually be a good closure of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, this is based on experiences of one former colleague who started a company. It didn't work out and there were several reasons. But one of the things that he said that what he learned is that uh, you have to be very wary uh, about taking advice like I've been giving the whole time uh, <laughs> from people without them having skin in the game. Yeah. Um, without them either investing or being a shareholder or, or having yeah, literally fin- uh, uh, preferably financial or reputation skin in the game. Because it's very easy for me to say all these things, but in the end, if uh, you you use it or anyone uses it and and it doesn't work out, then yeah, it's it's, it's a problem for them and, and less for me. Um, so in a way, I'm saying feel free to to do anything with what you've heard today, but <laughs> also realize that that I could be wrong 100 percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great insight to share. Valva, thanks so much again for your time and we'll look forward to touching base with you in the future. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.